recording live from a room where Tom Savage is quietly weeping in the corner. It's the Seahawks Nest Podcast. Hi, I am your host, uh, Nathan Santo, back again for another episode of Seahawks uh, Nest Podcasting. Uh, and the Roger Murda to my Martin Riggs, uh, Kevin Garber over here. Kevin, how you doing? Am I getting too old for this shit? You, you yes, are. I am. And the, uh, the Michael Hunsaker to our Murda and Riggs. <laughs> Eric Ronnebeck, how you doing? Wow. I was going to say, the, uh, was that Joe Pesci's character? Too? No, that's Because that's what it should be. That's Tom Atkins. <laughs> I was going to say, if I was going to go into the, the, screw you in the drive-thru, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to we're gonna head off here in another episode of the CX Should I do first, this podcast sitting on my desk now? I'm trying to figure out how this works. <laughs> first, we got to get into it, because the Seahawks had a great win last week. The Seahawks went in the dreaded East Coast road trip, and they took on the Giants. And well... They kicked the shit out of them. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. The Seahawks went out there and they put it on the Giants. The first half looked a little sketchy, but they often do with our Seahawks. But the second half, total domination. The Seahawks pull off the 20. Sorry, I should have looked at the score, so I got it perfect. 24 7 victory. Uh, very That's close. right, they beat them 24 7. A lot of cl- close n- numbers, but Kevin, I think you were the closest. Kevin, did you actually say 24 7 last week? It was either, I think it was 24 10. Okay, and I, I had 21 0. So we were, bo- we were in the mix. Yeah. We are in the mix. Eric? I drank the Kool Aid, man. I was I was feeling high. I wanted to believe that yeah, this team would blow you know, if them Jimmy, out. If Jimmy Graham could catch, you'd have gotten your 31. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Kevin, I was going to say, Kevin really called this game, and I felt like when you said it last week that, yeah, this is definitely what's going to happen. This is probably our best case scenario, but yeah, the the Seahawks are going to start slow. They're going to start the second half still slow, but eventually blow out the team. So I just want to put this out there: with uh, 14 minutes left in the fourth quarter, that was when uh, the Giants missed the field goal, and it was 10-7. I was going to say Seattle. So it was 10-7 Seattle with 14 minutes left. So we scored 14 points in 14 minutes, and we scored 10 points the rest of the game combined. Sounds like us. Yeah, the offense actually held on the ball in this game, though. We had 35 minutes and 26 seconds of possession as to the Giants, 24-34. So it's not like we were unable to hold the ball. We just had trouble getting over the hump. Sustaining well, drives. There were there were sustaining drives. There was the Thomas Rawls fumble. There were the 11 penalties. That was the worst fumble, by the uh, way. 11, Eric? Fumbled it directly 11 or 14, him. how many were they? 27? 15, 15, 15 for 110 goodness. yards. That's an insane amount Honestly, of penalties. Honestly, when they hit 11, I just rolled my eyes. But I would say 11 or 12 of them were fully legitimate. Yeah, and it they were bad. It was like a return to form for bad Seahawks penalties. But that Thomas Rawls fumble, you said it was the worst fumble, but you know, when you hit the helmet on the ball. It's a hard luck fumble, but like yeah. it was it went perfectly to the defensive play. Like he Doink, caught yeah. the fumble in stride. An inter- it looked like a Blake Bortles pick six. <laughs> it did. Yeah, so the Seahawks looked really good, really good in this game. Their defense on the defensive side of the ball, especially, they now have the number one scoring defense in the NFL. And I thought the defense looked great. And yeah, I know the New York Giants have lost all their wide receiver weapons for the season. But the, that doesn't mean that you don't go out there and do business. And the Seahawks went out there and they did business. Uh, who are some guys that stood out for each of you guys? Who are some guys? So do you want to start on the offense or the defense? I'll start on defense because they were okay. the they were the key to the game. I think they were. Uh, what are some defensive players that stood out to you guys? Uh, for me, I'll just go in uh, if you don't mind me starting. Do I it. like KJ Wright quite a bit. Yeah, KJ Wright. Uh, I I don't believe that one player single handedly wins you the game, but I felt like. You know, we're always going to talk about how great Bobby Wagner is, and that might be your guy. But K.J. Wright felt like the spine of this game. 
Yeah, KJ and Bobby too. Eric, one thing that impressed me about them, and Bobby was my guy, so I'll just talk about them both right here a little bit, is that they were great in coverage in this game. They were and, everywhere. And you got to be good in coverage against a team that's going to throw to its running backs and only cares about throwing to say, its tight like, ends. I was going to say, to 12 like, yards down the field. Right, and so... These guys that, you know, you know, they're going to target Evan Ingram 12 times in this game because he's all they've got. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, he got some because Evan Ingram is a really good pass catcher. But well, they targeted their running backs 10 times. He only got six catches. And their running backs, a lot of times after they caught it, they got stuffed. They had eight total catches. Eight total catches for 29 yards. That means that, they, you know, they only got three or four yards every catch. And that's KJ and Bobby doing work in the middle of the field. Bobby was excellent. He had... Um, Another thing, too, about Bobby that I really liked is that he had um, three run stops. So, yeah, I thought he was awesome. Uh, Kevin? Yeah, and KJ had seven. KJ was in there on those run stops, and what enabled that is my player of the game. I thought that Jaron Reed Mm -hmm. played an excellent game. He's really been stepping up his game throughout the season. He's providing a little bit in the pass rush. He had that awesome force fumble where he just kind of put his hand out there after really playing a power game. He was bull rushing the interior of their line. He's bullying, absolutely bullying, um, weaker interior offensive linemen. It's good to see that offensive line cave in on the other team, right? Yeah, and put that pressure right in his face. I thought that uh, Jaron Reed's really stepped in and taken over a lot of... Um, the role that was occupied last year by our big man in the middle. Yeah. 16 rushing attempts by running backs by for the Giants in this game. Jaron Reed was on the field for 12 of those runs, and he got stops on four of those plays, which is just an insane conversion rate. Yeah, if I remember correctly, according to Pro Football Focus, he leads the uh, he's second in the NFL in run-stop rate by a defensive lineman. Yeah. Uh, that's sick. In, but in week seven. just in That's week, still really good. Just in week seven. <laughs> oh, it was just in week seven? I thought yeah, it was for just, the season. Just in week seven. Uh, but still, that's less exciting, but still really good. It means he's getting better, which is something we needed to see from Jaron. Jaron needed to grow this season. Uh, last season, we saw him. He was okay, up and down. And at the beginning of the season, I thought it's kind of more of the same. Jaron Reed, and I want to see him grow into the role. He has good players around him on all sides. He should be able to do some to do some work. And he's, he's matured. Starting, he's starting to do it. He's starting to get there. Um, so... On defense, it looked just really, really good. We we kind of messed up everything they were trying to do. They weren't able to throw. They weren't able to run. Uh, oh, wait, real quick. Can I Eli, talk some snaps? Eli Manning, 39 pass attempts, but only completed 19 of them. Here's my favorite, though. 134 yards. That's, That's so bad. That is a below that is below four or just above four yards an attempt. I so. got to ask this, though. You said we disrupted everything they were trying to do. What do you think the Giants were trying to do? Because they... To, to s- they were trying to throw because they threw 39 times. They were trying to work their tight end open. They were running that spider two-wide banana. They were, get, <laughs> getting, they were trying to send a running back underneath yes. and a tight end over the top and create an open player there, and they kept having to go to the check down. Well, yeah. And then KJ and Bobby were cleaning it up. Yeah, they, the thing that they were looking for, I think, was that they really wanted uh, they really, really, really wanted to get guys open in space. And the Seahawks were really good about closing out that space once the guy caught the ball. There's not a lot of yard after catch in this game for the for the New York Giants. Well, and that's getting, what I think their goal was. I was thinking the Giants, they weren't super creative. And I felt like the Seahawks knew that plan going in. Like the Seahawks looked at, okay, you know, what is a way that the Giants are going to try and run this? And that's exactly what the Giants did. They played into the Seahawks' hands. You know, that's. I was surprised how many three-receiver sets... That were played. I also think Seattle did a nice job of just treating Ingram like a receiver. Yes, and they, so they kept splitting him out wide, and they were like, "Okay, 
Yep, we're, and so we had Justin Coleman out there quite a bit. And I also noticed when they would split Ingram out wide, they wouldn't put Coleman on him. They'd put Cam on him and have Coleman cover the running back coming out of yeah. the backfield, which I thought was a really smart move because Cam can physically match up with a guy like that. Another well, thing they did is they put Bradley McDougal on the field. 29%? Yes. Uh, they, that was good. I heard they, his name called by the announcers, and I was like, what, really? They they finally put him on the field, and I think it's because they knew like we needed a guy, a speedier guy who can also come in and cover the run and do all those little things. And McDougal had a good game. I would try to keep my eye on him because I noticed he kept being out there on play after play after play. Shaq Griffin played every snap. Yep, that's so exciting to me. And they played a ton of man coverage, and I thought he shined. Yeah. I thought he played a really solid game. I think we've established that uh, Justin Coleman's our third cornerback, Shaq's our second cornerback. When Shed comes back, I don't really know what they're going to do. It's nice. Be to, great depth. It's nice to have the luxury to ease him back in because Shed last year was excellent when he was healthy, and now we can wait till he's actually healthy. We don't have to. We don't have to rush him back to try to cover up some, a weakness. Speaking of players getting extra snaps, Quentin Jefferson. First time he's played this season, any significant role whatsoever. Played 34% of snaps. Naz Jones played a few less, which I think is probably a good thing. Rookies, especially defensive linemen, can get tired out. Jefferson's fresh legs. So that means that our defensive line rotation got a little deeper. Jefferson had one kind of dumb penalty, yeah, Brandon but he Jackson, played a really solid game. Brandon Jackson got to hit the field, too, which yep. is which is cool. Uh, and then, uh, for some reason, Michael Wilhoit played 16 snaps. We're just not, <laughs> not going to talk about that anymore. We're just going nope, to let, let that one go just uh, by the wayside. Now, Kevin, the defense was great. We all agree the defense was great. Yes. But the offense, the offense moved the ball pretty decently in this game. They got a lot of yards. They got a lot of yards. That's what I, that's where I'm getting at. Um, what what was the struggle with finishing drives in this game? What what was happening that made us unable to finish a drive? Well, the first drive that we couldn't finish that was also the drive Britt went out with an injury, and so up the middle we had Posich and Glowinski in the game at the same time. The same time which is not an ideal scenario. And should I go ahead and start addressing the offensive line right now? Go for it. All right. So we actually had a question. JRB asked uh, over Twitter, um, how did Postage play? And I thought the Postage played a really solid game. Yeah, he's fine. I thought he had <laughs> kind of one missed block in the pass game. He played 45% of snaps, which is a pretty solid amount. And I thought he was very effective at guard. He's not... If you're running the play at him, he's not the best guard to do that with because he doesn't get a ton of push, but he's a really strong lead blocker. He's really, really mobile. The only time I noticed him really struggling was uh, against uh, Harrison, their big defensive lineman, on a straight bull rush. He has a little bit of that Luke Jokel in him where he can get pushed back. And when you consider the knock on him was he wasn't that strong, that's not too surprising. But I thought... All in all, if you're asking me if I want Glowinski or Posich playing left guard the next few games, give me Posich because Glowinski was like having a second of Fetty on the field. And the other thing too is that Glowinski stole snaps from Posich even during like healthy time. Yeah, like they were trying to rest Posich or something. I don't really. It didn't make any sense. To and he had a terrible, unnecessary roughness penalty that killed a drive. He had three horrible missed uh, blocks in pass. Like if if someone shaded on his inside shoulder. He just clearly doesn't understand what to do with that player. Well, we talk about, you know, Posich looking like Nathan said, he looked fine, which is really all you can ask for. Uh, in the preseason, George Fant had been improving. Uh, Abushi, which I know you'll get to look great in this game. Effetti has the stat that he hasn't allowed a, a sack all year. There's room for small improvements. I know, I, we know the truth. I'm just saying. Glowinski 
seems like the one guy on this team, on this offensive line, I don't ever want to see again. And Effetti's really bad. So I, I feel was like a I'm Lewinsky really believer too. Like, I know. You guys know I was really behind him. And, but and you can't read a thing. That's the thing, yeah. though, Kevin. Kevin your analysis Kevin, was okay because he was you, the Golinski truther, it. and I was like the Golinski hater. It, yeah, and I think I think you proved out right. He cannot read what's going on in the play at all. He reacts so poorly. And I feel like his reactions make it look like he gives up immediately. And that's what's so frustrating. So there were a number of times I actually marked every lineman in on the play with a missed block on a run play. Mm-hmm. It was one of the ones we did inside the red zone. And they handed the ball to Lacey, and he kind of dove into the pile. And you look up. And you see three out of five offensive linemen looking around. Like, they've all overran where the play ended up, and they're not blocking anyone. And that's just not good. Like, that's a big problem. That means you're not finding someone to block. You're not in on the play. That's a lack of situational awareness. I thought Odiombo probably played his best game of the year. Uh, they didn't line up. They lined up JPP on uh, um, a Fetty most of the game. And on tight ends, because we seem to want to block edge rushers with our tight ends for some really dumb reason. But Odiambo only had a few missed blocks. Uh, Britt played a really good game. He missed, like, one block. There was a penalty that didn't end up mattering. Abushi played a really solid game. He still can't be a lead blocker, but he's really good if he has to block the person directly in front of him. Afedi, he had two really bad false start penalties. He had a really bad holding penalty. You know, uh, he had a couple of drive killers. He had, I count by my count between pass and run game, he had five missed blocks, which was still one of his better games of the season. Eee. That's just kind of the way it is. Afedi's clear a clear weak link. So, in all, I would say one of the better games from the offensive line. But Gluinski and Afedi are clear weak links, and having them both on the field is a detriment. Yeah, Afedi is is so inconsistent. Like I just cannot handle. How one play he'll look like, oh, he's competent. And then the next play, it's like the guy's blowing by him at a thousand miles an hour. It doesn't make any sense to it's me. It's all reads. But if you just, look, you just can't read the field. Yeah, it's just, it's really, it's really, really frustrating. Some of that goes on coaching because Cable's a bad offensive line coach. So I don't know where you want to move this, Nathan, but are we going to transition to offense, or I'm sorry, the running game right now at all? Sure, we could talk about the Seahawks running game. I guess I, I want to fire. What, what, what running game? Yeah, exactly. Well, I want to. I want to first give some some credit to both of you and me to some extent. The way we describe Thomas Rawls and his running style is reckless, yep. is all over the place. Sudden. If you do not understand what we're saying, watch this game. It's a perfect example of how Thomas Rawls runs. It's just wild and free. It's kind of cool because he literally is just like, ah, it's like the Tasmanian devil. You want to, this is real fun. I was having a conversation with somebody outside of the podcast about this and Watch Rawls run, and then watch four-year-old tape on Marshawn Lynch, and you will see the difference between the term crashing into defenders and bouncing off of defenders. Marshawn Lynch either delivers a hit or takes a glancing blow when he was in his prime. Rawls runs into guys yeah, there's a and reason that pro football focuses elusive rating was led every year by marshawn lynch it's not because he was just straight up running into dudes i mean yes every once in a while he lowered the truck stick but he also was trying to avoid them at some level he wasn't just looking for contact 
Yeah. Yeah. And Rawls just runs in a straight line, and if you're in between here and there, he'll just run straight into you and hope that it works. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it, he, I don't he, know if he he dodges guys as much as he just goes between them. He's got one yeah. good cut in him every time. He's always got that one good cut, and but if that, there's no second a cut. A Shanahan there's never There's never a second move in, an, in the Thomas Rawls playbook. And then, uh, of course, we have Eddie Lacy, who... This is, I guess, the question I wanted to fire, and this will be to you, Kevin. Was Eddie Lacy having a bad Eddie Lacy day, or do you want to blame that on, like, the right side of the line? Our offensive line is limited. Honestly, and this is going to sound really bad, um, Rawls, Lacy, and McKissick combined for 25 rushes for 80 yards. I can live with that. Okay, yeah. It's It's not three yards per carry, just a hair over three yards per carry. Sticking to the run game. It's not great. Lacey wasn't great, but he was good enough. Like it, he, and he Rawls never, was slightly more effective, but he mostly was running against a tired line in the fourth. I was going to say that Rawls was similar. Like I thought Rawls was the same. He only had two more yards. Um, I think they're both they're both okay. Uh, I think they switched back and forth looking for someone to get hot, and neither of them really did. Both of them just stayed kind of like a lukewarm. I think they need to give one back more carries if they want to have that happen. I think honestly. so, too. I would rather see them give 25 to Lacey than give, give uh, any to... Or like Rawls. eighteen and seven. I just don't think Rawls can carry the load like that. If I, I think he can. They'll just get injured. Yeah, he'll get injured. And I don't want him to get injured. He's so got what? Three I would games. rather save. I'd rather save Rawls and try to give him twenty five carries a game in the playoffs. Does that okay. make sense? Yep, I buy like, that. And then let him get healthy just, now. Just ride Lacey the rest of the year and be like, yeah, we're kind of saving Thomas for the playoff run. We're saving him for the big games, and then unleash him in the playoffs and say, go out there, run reckless. Who cares if you get hurt? Whatever. There's no more games left after this. Yellow. So. That that's kind of where I'm at with that's I either want them to do that or I want them to trade for a running back. I want them to trade for like Jeremy Hill. I don't think that there's any reason someone like who's languishing on another roster like Jeremy Hill is. Chris Ivory. Or Chris Ivory or some some running back. Those guys are better than the guys we currently have on our roster. So I wouldn't mind seeing us give up like a fifth rounder or a sec- sixth rounder to go get one of those guys because we're just going to blow the money on an offensive line project that doesn't work out or blow, I mean, blow the pick. So who cares? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna pick up just, another. Just take take SEC away the offensive lineman that gets cut. Take away Tom Cable's like late round offensive line pick, just to say you don't get one this year, <laughs> and spend that in getting a, a Can decent. We take away Tom back. Cable instead. Yeah, that would work too. I'd be down with that. So, all right, all right. Um, do we I, talk I, receivers? I think McKissick's really good. Uh, McKissick played a nice game. He he sees a ton of snaps too. Yeah. He's such an interesting receiving threat. And uh, I like. Um, so we, I mean, we have to talk about Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin was excellent in this game. He looked fully healthy. Oh, human uh, first down machine. He really picked on the the lesser members of the the Giants' uh, cornerbacking core because the Giants have two pretty good cornerbacks, but then they have nothing after that. And it's like he really found like the guy. You know, he gets to line up on all different parts of the field. He lines up a lot in the slot. He lines up on the outside. He runs across the field on his own and, and finds the, the weak point. It's he does all the li- he does that little stuff, and that's what makes him so good in this game. Well, and what happened in the fourth quarter? They got tired of him victimizing their lessers. So they put Rogers Camardi on him. He brought Rogers Camardi into the slot, and then proceeded to put a move on him that Camardi's not comfortable with when he doesn't have the sideline in his favor. Because he's not and a slot. goes for the touchdown. Yeah, a slot cornerback. Not yeah. a slot corner, and he got victimized. Yeah, like, it reminds me of those frustrating times where they do that with Sherman, because Sherman's not a slot corner. Yeah, and he gets frustrated with it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sherman doesn't want to play in the slot. Neither does neither does the cornerbacks on the Giants. But they were getting burned so badly in the slot, they had to try something. Yep. <laughs> but and uh, Mr. Fifty Fifty Ball P Rich. 
Yeah, that shake that shake route by by Baldwin though that was that, that was, shake route was beautiful, was beautiful. Yeah, and just the timing, you know, it was so nice to see Russ not overthrow that one. Zero zero drops by the way on Baldwin for the season, uh, which is sets him apart from the rest of our wide receivers. And nine catches on twelve targets—that's really efficient. Mm-hmm. That's super high efficiency for almost a hundred yards to get ten yards per uh, catch. Uh, Richardson Richardson caught a uh, another ca- catch that could have been an interception, but 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 it was a catch it, that that fifty fifty ball. Yep. Hey, that's that's what we wanted him for. We're like a uh, three for three on intercept downs in our in the in the Pete Carroll era. It's amazing. Lockett's playing a really interesting game. They're using him because because the line is having so much trouble. They're using Lockett to force them to cover outside. So instead of doing stretch runs, which McKissick can't hit until the fourth quarter if the defense is tired, we're using Lockett on sweeps and um a few bubble screens i think that's a pretty good use of him hey man we really talked about tyler lockett taking over the bubble screen role from jermaine curse for years <laughs> and what do you know it works pretty well it's not the greatest play in the world but it's not a bad play the, but the goal yarders on a play like that is like three and a half yards so if they're getting, it. it's it's what high risk it's not even high risk it's it's decent yardage high reward because yeah, if right. he gets yep. through it's you know very, after seven yards it's, it's over remember in our playbook this is considered a run play like they, they're like, this is a pseudo run. And we need to be doing that right now. That's exactly what we should be doing. Uh, there was a really nice play. They only ran it one time that I saw uh, where they had Nick Vanette do a chip block and run a drag route, and he got 11 yards on it. I'd love to see that. That's a nifty play. Like, that's a really nice uh, dump-off option. I feel like something that's giving us a lot of trouble is we have a lot of slow-developing plays that we can't block for. Giving some better dump-off options to Russell Wilson, I think, will play into the strength of the offense more. So it was nice to see that. That was some solid play calling by Bevel. Um, yeah. All right. Does it, I thought, yeah, I think Bevel, like I said, when Bevel, when the offense is working, he knows how to push the right buttons. It's when the offense is not working, he has he really struggles to dig us out of the hole. All right. So we talked about the good and the bad. It's time to talk about the ugly. What? Jimmy Graham. Oh, Okay. I think it's fair. I think Jimmy fair, Graham Kevin. had two, had one horrible drop. That open drop, he turned to run with it. He had so much field in front of him. He had a long pass play where he just flat dropped a first down. It wasn't even like he turned and ran when when the ball hit his hands. It was almost like before. Like he was. Yeah, he was like mid run when the yes. ball got there. It was it was really bad. And then the drop touchdown, he should have had that. It was not perfect ball placement. It was not the easiest catch in the world. No, but we. But that's what you're paying Jimmy Graham for. That's you, what you brought him in for, for his catch radius and his hands. Yeah, it was very disappointing. Uh, Nathan, where you stand on Jimmy Graham? I, we've talked about he's not going to be on this team next year. Correct. But where do you where do you see? Unless he takes a huge discount to play in the Seahawks. <laughs> I mean, they, we just can't afford him. It's just not, not in the cards. I mean, we're not going to take him out, but I mean... Really we've... likes the aerial angles around here. That's right. Where do you see uh, you know, Jimmy Graham's game in this game? Like, Are you, are you just like, yeah, it's a bad game? Or are you kind of... Are you miffed at Jimmy this year? Um, I, I'm not miffed at Jimmy. I mean, everyone's going to have some weird... Drop. He hasn't... It's just not like a... An, like something that's he's happened all season. He's had a few season. lately, though. But he he just 
he's finally becoming part of the offense, and I think if we just give him a chance, it, it'll be it'll work itself out fine. I would not be surprised if if we do make a trade for an offensive lineman. I would not be surprised if Jimmy Graham is in the trade just because he's the only guy we have that could clear any decent amount of salary that any team could use. Right? Any yep. no team is going to go. Ooh, we don't really want Jimmy Graham on our roster. Like he's a very useful football player for almost any team. Okay, this is. I hate what you just said at the beginning. You said, I'm glad to see Jimmy finally getting involved in the offense. This is something you have said for three years on this podcast. The team doesn't know how to use him? Yeah. I mean, it's he's finally getting involved. And then we talk the about dude how he's has made his home involved. here. Yeah. <laughs> and then he ends up disappearing for four more games. It's ridiculous. And I, I know that our offensive play calling has problems. I know Tom Cable is a very good man at being named Tom. But <laughs> I, I feel no. I uh, in all seriousness, I feel like some of this has got to be on Jimmy. You know, to get lost in the offense on a consistent yearly basis. I'm just I'm calling him out a little bit. I guess. All right. Well, Jimmy Graham, you're on notice. Eric Ronabek wants to fight you. Yeah. At the Dixon, man, at the Dixon Wallingford. He's taller than me. He's probably gonna kick my ass. When we get blocked <laughs> by Jimmy Graham, in addition to Luke Wilson, oh, that we one's can't on do you. that. Oh, that one's oh, on you. Oh, we'll have what about, Nick Vanette. Well, do you think Nick Vanette will block us too? No, I love Nick Vanette. I love Nick Vanette. All right, so and I'm not we're on here's, the Nick Vanette hype train. Let's be clear because I don't want to get blocked by someone who may or may not use Twitter, uh, an account I do not give a shit about. But <laughs> I feel like Jimmy Graham. We can't give him a pass on this and say it's and this game is his fault. But when he gets lost in the offense, some of that has got to be on Jimmy Graham. That's all I'm saying. I agree. All right. So that's uh, I think that's that puts that game in the books, right? We don't need to talk anymore about what happened in for us in New York, but let's go ahead and start looking forward to next week. Next week we welcome in the Houston Texans. Uh, let's just talk about a little bit about Houston. I think Houston is really underrated. Um, Houston started off with that awful game, and people remember that. Yeah, and I think they're three and three, but but it's a real good three and three. They're actually much better than the or. Maybe not much better, but they're slightly better than the record indicates. Uh, DVOA has them in twelfth, uh, which would make them, you know, about four and two team. But they're they're really balanced. They're good on offense and on defense. Uh, I kind of I kind of like uh, Houston as a team. That being said, coming for a rookie quarterback like Deshaun Watson, who if anybody who listens to this podcast this offseason knows, I love Deshaun Watson more than most other people i was on the hype train early for deshaun watson as like most nfl ready quarterback from last year's draft if he comes into seattle and has a great game i would be stunned that that's what i want to say about deshaun watson is that i just don't think it's very a very good setting for a rookie running back or quarterback sorry to come into seattle and try to succeed um, do you guys think there's any chance that Houston just comes in and, and rolls up on us, or is is it a is it going to be smooth sailing for the Seahawks defense? Uh, I'm going to give you a, by the way, in the middle. seventh in DVOA. Rolls rolls up on us implies that they're going to win by seven points, maybe. Uh, I think this is going to be a close game. I th- feel like Deshaun Watson will will have some trouble against the Legion. I'm looking for at least one pick in this game. I think that. I'm very thankful J.J. Watt is not playing. And Whitney Merciless. And Whitney Merciless. And uh, Brian Cushing, who may be not that good of a player. We don't know because he's always suspended or hurt. But, I mean, <laughs> this this Houston defense is 
is reeling. I mean, look at that division. You've got the the Jacksonville Jaguars poised to take that division. Yeah, no, this Jack this division is wide open. It seems like none of these three teams wants to behind have it. an amazing yep. defense though. And if you give the Texans a mostly healthy defense, they should be four and two. They might be five and one. Might be five and one. This this team's better than their record, but they are dealing with some really awful, not positional in- injuries sections of their actual game injuries like sides of the ball like their defense is their defense is hurting for hurting sure. bad and that's after losing some talent like aj bouillet too yeah yeah, now, yeah i feel like kevin johnson has been okay though and he's finally back from injury jonathan, i fully agree but it, if they had both that would be a much better situation yeah well jonathan joseph is not not dead yet kevin he's no he's fine he's solid fine is a good but word it's to like when you had true font like late career true font He's not a liability on that side, but he's limited. I think, and I, uh, I think they're safe. If anything on their defense really worries me, it's the safeties. Uh, from I'm a not, talent perspective, yeah, yeah but I, their front seven suffering because of injury. But they got they got Lamar Houston's corpse now. Don't forget that. That's a thing. Yeah. Um, so do you want? This, so here's the thing that would really worry me if I were Houston right now, mm-hmm. and that is they're coming in with a rookie quarterback, as was mentioned. They are also 31st in adjusted sack rate. That's not good. They give up a lot of pressures. This is a extremely limited offensive line on the road in a difficult place to play with a rookie quarterback. That's a bad combination. Also, this is a running game that Seattle should be able to shut down. By the way, Dwayne Brown's back. I was going to say. Dwayne Brown's back, back and I, rusty, though. I said yeah, he was going to end his holdout right before... Week seven, he's showing he's showing off for us. Okay. Don't their right tackle is someone who will be familiar to Seahawks fans. Yep, Breno uh, Giacomini, sixty fifth ranked tackle in the NFL right now. Yeah, Breno Giacomini. Yeah. yeah, when we lost Breno Giacomini to the Jets, people were like, "Well, we lost him. We lost Jarrah Sweezy." I'm like, yeah, it's I'm all right. Here's a Giacomini is one of the worst tackles right now. They have one of the bottom guards. Their offensive line is as bad as ours. And bringing by Brown, yes, that's going to make it better, but that's not going to fix the problem. And so I don't know I have this I have this theory that I keep trying to hammer though the one good offensive but the thing is is he going to be good this week that's and is the, he going to be a leader this week that's the question I have is like is is he going to be ready because he he's been sitting out for so long and we saw with Cam Chancellor it doesn't you don't just step back in and get, be a hundred percent of what you were and I think again this is a difficult environment I could see Cliff having himself or I I could see Frank having himself a game Frank Clark could have a game I think that this could be Sheldon Richardson's chance. Their interior of their line is not that good. He could push them around big time. And if it's not Frank Clark, then it's going to be Bennett. Somebody's going to be matched up on Giacomini. Giacomini's going to get victimized. It could be someone else too, Kevin. What, I, what I'm worried about is the, the versus number two wide receivers this year, we're 24th. And I'm worried about Shaq Griffin covering Will Fuller. That's the thing that, that I'm the most scared of is that if Deshaun Watson can hit Will Fuller going deep, on Shaq Griffin, that could be a problem. Well, Shaq Griffin could stride for stride him, though. We're also going to have also, Earl. Also hold for hold him. That's what I'm more afraid of, is that he's just going to rack up the penalties. I think Earl plays pretty deep in this game because of this. Uh, you have to respect Deshaun Watson. Going back to the pass rush, though, Nathan, did you hear the big Seahawks news? Well, we got Dwight Freeney. Yeah, that's another guy that we're who's probably going to be playing this week. Those uh, 10 snaps he plays, he might get a sack. Honestly, yeah, like what, probably 15 snaps he's, a game? The closer. He is a total specialist at this point in his career. 
He the last year when he played, he played just only passer snaps. Actually, Houston's doing something similar right now with Kendall Langford and Lamar Houston. Yep. They they only put those guys on the field in pass rush situations. They signed those guys when Watt and uh, Merciless went down, and they said, "Okay, this is how we'll fix the problem. We'll have the guys already on our roster play during most downs, but when we know they're going to pass, we'll bring these guys in and just tell them to kill the passer." And it's actually not a bad idea, especially against our tackles. Yeah, Lamar Houston is going to be someone that the Seahawks have to be careful of. He got one sack in his first game last week, and I. I would not be surprised if you got another one or two in this one. Uh, that worry that worries me a little bit. We're kind of just throwing everything out here at once. I feel like uh, is there any anything else that uh, you guys are watching out for in this one? I have one more one more interesting stat tidbit about Houston. Uh, I don't. I'll just say this: I don't like their running game. I think it's something you have to respect, but not worry about. Does that make sense? Uh, Correct. I'm not. I'm not yeah, trying to. I agree. I'm not trying to insult Lamar Miller. Uh, I feel like Deshaun Watson is going to decide this game. Meaning, if Deshaun Watson has a really good game or a plus game, then it's going to be much closer or a Texans win. Who are we going to spy him with? Oh, uh, you think it's Bobby KJ? I could see him doing it with KJ. Who would you spy him with, Nate? Uh, I would. I um, I don't know if like. You have to. You don't have a you choice. Have to. You don't have a choice. Really, you can't put everyone's back to them. It really sucks to spy him with one of our linebackers because our other line, our linebackers are so versatile and just takes him out of the game. So I'm I mean, not. They do something. I'm like, not sure what I would do. I'm going to trust the coaches to make that. If decision. they do something crazy like maybe Frank Clark, I think Cam maybe. Okay. By the way, their pass protection 31st in the league. Like, what, be ready. Their adjusted sack rate is 10. percent Like they're not. Yep. They're not great against the pass. So just be ready for that. My other. Big stat tidbit though is that they are not good against number two, our number two and number three wide receivers. Uh, they have a really good pass defense, but they are thirty first in the league allowing um, at allowing stuff from the second wide receiver and twenty fifth in the league at allowing stuff from the third wide receiver. I think if the Seahawks spread it around like they have been, we can really pick on the the non first corners. Although, like I said, Kevin Johnson's coming back, so maybe they'll be better against number two wide receivers. But we just need to kick it one more down the line to the number three guy. Is this possible? With Kevin saying that Cam Chancellor is going to spy Deshaun, uh, I'm sorry, Watson, Deshaun Watson. Cam Thank Chancellor you. is an interesting choice, man. Let like me that. let me ask you this: Bradley McDougald getting extra snaps against the Giants is this the game where we see Bradley McDougald take over more deep coverage? I think we'll see him about the same amount as the last game. Yeah, about about 25 or so percent. Not 35, Kevin? Uh, this is me just begging at this point. No, I don't think so. Okay. Because we're going to have to run three wide receiver sets. They like putting Braxton Miller out there. Um, they have a lot of versatility yeah. in their wide receiver core, plus Hopkins. So you're going to see Fuller out a lot. That, a lot. You're going to see. And also, uh, was it Fedorowicz, I believe, is their tight end. And he's good enough to be a problem. Yeah, he's not someone you want to sleep on. That's And, I mean, we're better against the tight end this year, but... Uh, he he runs like a traditional tight end. He will help block. He will seam up the middle. Um, he's he's kind of quiet this year, but it's not. He's just not a star. He's he's a very solid tight end though. So here's my other stat slip, and that is for the the Houston run defense is partially inflated by their stuff percentage. They do really well at stopping the run, you know, for zero or negative. But the power running game has a lot of success. That means that if we can run straight at them, especially now that they're missing like the versatility of a J.J. Watt, there's a good chance that we can get a couple of those 
eight to 12 yard runs. If we can make hay on a few of those, that can be a big problem for them. Yeah. I do wonder how much the Texans, uh, like DVOA is inflated by the fact that they beat the brakes off the Titans. Then they played the chiefs tough when the chiefs were, were in their big run. And then they really beat the Bengals and the Browns and they played the Patriots tough on the road. Like how, I don't know. I'm wondering like, how good are they? They really, I know. They're kind of up and down against a lot of up and down teams. Like, yeah, they were, they were beating new England on the road in the fourth quarter. Like that's awesome. But their defense also just completely collapsed and allowed Tom Brady a touchdown in two minutes and twenty three seconds. Right? Like yeah. they, they, you, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I have the feeling that this is a team that that has good players and is decent and is going to be good for good stretches. But they don't have the ability to close things out. Are they ready not, for picks? They're not. They're not going to be able to close out the game. Does that make sense? Yep. All right. So let's do picks. Um, I like Seahawks twenty eight to twenty four. Rock. I'm going to go. I thought about this yesterday. I like this score quite a bit. Seahawks 20. Texans 17. All right. Come Kevin. on, Blair Walsh. I think I'm right in there with you guys. I think it's going to be 27 21. By the way, Seattle. I just want to say that we picked pretty low numbers there. In the last four games, the Texans have scored 33, 57, 34, and 33 points. Holding them to under 30, will should we should see that as an accomplishment. Yeah, because Seattle, Seattle, defense is that, that, is, that is something that people haven't been able to do lately. Yep. If the game was in Houston, I think it would be probably a Texans win and much higher scoring game. All right, so before we go to the money zone, I just do have one more. We have one of our, one of our Patreons, Cameron, had a question. He's asking... Ooh. What do we think of this rookie class versus the last couple? So for those of you playing at home, your bingo card will include Shaq Griffin, Naz Jones, Ethan Posick. Uh, we have uh, R.I.P. Chris Carson, Amara Darbo, who finally did something. Don't forget, yeah. don't forget Malik McDowell. It's corpse. Malik McDowell, who's practicing like a champ. You know, he's working out. He's not working even really out practicing. like a cheese. No, he's practicing working out. <laughs> he's doing cardio. He's practicing working out. Say. He's simulating what working out will look like. Um, so, what do you guys think of this rookie class compared to the last couple? Let's start there. So, Eric, what are your impressions of the rookie class? Okay, so this year's rookie class, I don't know. Okay, it's hard to say what's going to happen with this class. But look at our, forgetting, is it 2000? What, what is the Russell Bobby Wagner? Rookie class. What are we looking at? That would here? be considered 2012 because 2012, 2012 was the okay. first year they played. That that's like the All Star team uh, draft class, right? That's the the class that you can look at this team and be like, "Wow, we." Was well, that Earl Okun? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I think KJ was in that one. Yeah. It's it's. There were a couple of really good ones there. Exactly. In a period. I feel like this year's rookie class has the chance to do that, and I'm saying that only because of how good the rookies are immediately. Shaq Griffin has has turned into a very good corner. Naz Jones, since day one, has impressed. Uh, we have no idea what Malik McDowell is going to do. If he plays, he's going to be a plus pass, pass rusher uh, to the extent where I feel like he will fit in right where Sheldon Richardson will leave. Um, Amar Darbar, we, we, I have no idea what this guy's going to do. Uh, Chris Carson, man, Chris Carson had... 
had that number one running back spot. Like I feel with Chris Carson, we would have one more win on this season. He's more productive than all the other running backs we've been playing lately. He's combined. still the number one rusher on the team, right? He gets all the three-yard runs that these guys do, but he's the only one I thought who had the next gear to be able to break one. If you ask me if I think Rawls or Lacey can break one, I don't see it happening. That's why when I just said, yeah, we can make hay on some of those 8 to 12-yard runs, mm-hmm. if we still had Carson, I'd say we might have a couple of 20-plus. Yeah. And I, there's other guys in this class, but those are the ones that I'm circling as uh, studs going forward. And by say going forward, I mean this year and years going forward, like three, four seasons. Okay. So what do you think? Um, Nate? I I don't like judging rookie classes before three years out. So it's so I wouldn't want to judge last year's rookie class either, because um, I think that that. After three years, you really have a good perspective on what guys are and what guys have the potential to be. Uh, by that time, most guys have either washed out or made it, at least on some level. That being said, I'm very hopeful about this year's rookie class because I think we are at drafted two plus-plus defensive tackles, which means we don't have to pay anyone if we don't want to at that position for quite some time. Uh, we we have um, – Postage seems like he's a good interior offensive lineman, at least in a in a – like he can back up all the spots – that's his worst case scenario, right? That's like the basement for him. Yeah, I would agree for sure. Um, Carson seems like a good change of pace back, bare minimum. Uh, I really, 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 really like Shaq Griffin. Um, I think that three years from now we'll look at him as, I would guess, as someone who is, is really good. Comparing to the last couple draft classes, so like last year's draft class included who? Last year's draft class we had... Uh, a Fetty? Fail. No. I don't I don't, have, I don't want to give it a clean fail. That's right. That's why that's why I like to wait three years because We had a Fetty, uh, which is not looking as good. We had got a lot of players that didn't make it. Um This is why it's hard because like a lot of these guys could wash out in next off season too. Like uh okay, so we got Jaron Reed. Reed I like, which looks I like Jaron so Reed. CJ Procise, who is uh, God given incomplete, he's always hurt. Nick Finette, who I like. Riso Diambo, who I think is is vastly improved in the last game, and but I cannot believe we spent a third round pick on Riso Diambo. The more I think about it, the matter it makes me. So I'm just gonna move on from that. Quentin Jefferson, it's fine. Alex Collins, uh, he fumbles a lot. Uh, Joey Hunt's gone. Kenny Lawler's gone. Zach Brooks gone. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, I guess not, a, not an extremely. 2016 class. is 2017 seems better than 2016. If I look at 20. 15 Frank Clark 2015 uh I really like Frank Clark um do you count Jimmy Graham as a first round pick because if you do I mean he's really great uh Tyler Lockett good uh Terry Poole gone do you remember Terry Poole Kevin yeah Yeah, we spent a fourth round pick on that guy yeah we did uh by the way for all of you saying we didn't spend any resources on the offensive line listen to this list fourth third uh, round pick Reese Odiambo first round pick Jermaine Effetti that's a great point fourth round pick Terry Poole what fourth round pick also Glowinski, Glowinski, and then a bunch of guys we cut. There's a lot of guys we cut then in this draft. I don't know. I'd say this year, this year's drafting really deep too. Like I wouldn't Ooh, be surprised if a guy like Delano Hill is still on our roster five years from now. You know, yeah, he Delano Hill out seems, seems sweet. And like Tedrick Thompson, like he's developing on the roster too. They didn't like get rid of him or anything. I don't know. I like it. I like this year's draft. I think draft this year's draft was really good. We did I, a good job. Yeah, I think we picked up a lot of players that are in the rotation. We drafted by talent instead of by need, and I think that that means a lot. Yeah. We didn't force an offensive line pick early just because our offensive line sucks, which is maybe what we've done the last couple of years. Okay. Uh, so, and then for my breakdown, I think you guys hit a lot of it. Uh, just to really touch on it, uh, 
Naz Jones and Malik McDowell, who we have every reason to believe will both be ex- important rotation players on a starting defensive line. Those are great pickups in the second and third rounds. Uh, Shaq Griffin could end up being one of the steals of the draft on a Tyler Lockett type level. Um, a position that was deep, and we picked up a guy late that ends up being really good. And yeah, I think Posich, if he's not starting, then at the very least, he's a very versatile player, which is not what you want out of a second round pick. But productivity, when you get pr- productivity out of four or five guys in a draft, that's really big. Any level of productivity out of four or five guys is a best case scenario. Usually in a draft, what is it? Nate, we talked about this before. In a draft, you want one really strong starter, one or two rotation guys, and maybe one or two depth guys. And if you can pull that off, that's a good draft class. And And I think that's bare minimum what we have here. You need to hit on some draft picks with some starters because at the end of the day, these guys are going to have to play snaps like you you need to have guys playing snaps that don't cost a ton of money because you can't build a roster off of all veterans it's just impossible it's an impossible task you look like arizona two years down the road yeah so like the arizona once all these guys got paid they keep getting worse and worse and worse right and, and they, hurt and they, old they're not backfilling back with any good players and so it just it, it continually gets harder and harder for them to uh to make it work all right the last part of his question just to make nathan sad when if ever do we get a strong look at Roos. I hopefully soon. I love Jordan Roos so much. Uh I I he didn't even dress for last game. They inactivated him. Because that sick. stupid rule that we have to keep some inactive. That's I was going to say last week would have been the week I think you see him maybe yeah, he, I, maybe in a couple weeks. I I don't know. I feel like Golinski has burned all his chances. There's no way that it, I mean unless unless he's just so bad in practice like Maybe it's Jordan Roos that started that short shorts thing in practice and that they're punishing him for that. That's the only thing I can think of. Because I know you guys have seen those pictures on Twitter where it's yes, like I have. a bunch yes. of all the Seahawks players movement. are really in. It's a movement. They're all wearing short shorts and they're like make fun of it. I'm wearing short shorts today. Kevin can confirm. Uh, these shorts are, are shorter than, than... Short-ish. Short. They're above the knee. I mean, they're significantly above the knee. They show off my nice quads and... and uh, hey, Larry Birds. And uh, <laughs> hammies. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. That's uh, that, yeah, that meta, yeah that, we that, all that's want to, but that's my conspiracy theory. Yeah, that's my thought is that Golinski should have burned all his bridges right now, but I just don't trust the decision making around that process to take that go. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Roos at all this year. We might be redshirting him. All right, the famous Pete Carroll redshirt. Set to the money suit. Let's have the money zone, Kevin. We're running. Out, we're gonna. We don't want to run out of time. Oh, so. very quickly. If you want to hear us obnoxiously refer to ourselves as the award-winning Seahawks Nest podcast, oh, yeah. Google King 5 Best of Western Washington, go into the arts and entertainment, because this is art and entertainment, and Perhaps. under podcasts, you can look at us. We are the lowly, pictureless Seahawks Nest podcast. If you scroll too fast, you're going to miss us. Vote us, won't you? Yeah, and we went from our all-time highest viewed episode to our like one of our lowest of the whole season, which says to me, I effectively drove off all the chaff. Good job <laughs> by me. Remember that bad intro? And I was like, I'm going to get all the chaff out of here, guys. If you listen to that one, you're a real fan. Yeah, that's... Actually, I think it. it's just giant stink. 
Yeah, that no also, one wanted to listen to. They just knew we were going to bag on Eli Manning all day. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, it was kind of a boring podcast. So uh, money's on though. If you want to just give us money directly, you can head to Patreon.com/slash/SeahawksNest. You could donate as low at a low level as a dollar a month. It helps us buy new equipment, keep our sound quality high, and also add new features. And uh, we wanted to run some contests, so we'll be running some contests soon. The more we can get in there, uh, the other thing. Uh, for me is that you can help us by voting us five stars on iTunes or just giving us a review and a thumbs up anywhere you see us on SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. Uh, big ups to our Patreon who upped his level. I think it was Tom. Tom, thanks for upping your, your uh, Patreon level. We appreciate it. That will help us Thank you, Tom. immensely uh, to buy stuff. Thank you to all the people. We have some regular Twitter people who we converse with back and forth. I love building the community. Thank you very much. Okay. So this week I have two. I'm gonna give you guys a choice of movie, okay? Because I have I want to do a movie that starts with the a spooky choice, <laughs> okay? Uh, and it is gonna be a spooky choice. But I couldn't decide. Did I want to do a movie that I think is like an underrated modern horror classic? The fact, or do I want to do a monster movie? And I was like, mm, this is such a hard choice. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you guys a choice, and then we are gonna save the other movie for the Halloween special. That we're going to do for the Patreons, okay? Right. So, Patreons, you get both. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, everyone else, you get, you're going to get one or you're going to have to join Patreon. So, the choices are, do you want to do Korean Monster, Modern Monster Classic, The Host, okay? <laughs> Which I think is a great film. Okay. Or, With the, Bill Cosby? or the Descent. <laughs> uh, have we done The Descent? We have not. And I think that this movie's legitimately like the scariest freaking movie. Uh, I'm not more freaked out than I am when I watch this. You know, movie. I figure like the host is just kind of, it's fine. I think it's funny. I'd rather talk about the descent. All right. And uh, other movies that might appear on that podcast include uh, the Babadook. Uh, they also include, uh, and then Ke- so we're definitely gonna talk about the host and the Babadook and Kevin. Whatever Kevin decides he wants us to talk about, because I, I feel like Kevin deserves to pick his favorite horror movie, since Kevin is a horror aficionado. And you also keep least. picking movies in my dead era of horror. The, you didn't see The Descent? I got chased out of horror movies by, like, Saw 1 oh, through 27. I thought this might be early enough, because it's like 2005. It's 2005. That's in the middle of the Wait, movie that I stopped seeing. It came out at the same time uh, as, like, The Grudge and a bunch of other movies that were bad. Did you see The Host? I did not see the host okay. either. Okay, we'll watch the host, Kevin, before next week. If together. it is a two thousands movie that starts with the, I just assumed it was another <laughs> one of those. Like that, that was a, not a good era. That's not an unfair assumption. Hostel actually. came out around there. Here's the thing, Kevin. What I'm if disappointed. It was the hostel? Would you have you would have watched it even less? Right? I would watch. I would have negative watched it. I'd have bought tickets and then torn them up and recycled them. Kevin, but you know, you, you could have guessed that the host was a sequel to Ghost Dad, which makes it just so disappointing you didn't see. <laughs> All right, so what that do you makes do, it Nate? sound more like so hostile. Let's, let's talk the descent. Let's talk, Eric, let's talk the descent. Here we go. All right, the descent. Okay, so Neil Marshall makes dog soldiers. It's. it's <laughs> I saw that. Okay, Honestly, I never good. saw dog soldiers. Good, I got this. Awesome. I knew I got Kevin on some level. Okay, Kevin, well, how do you feel about dog soldiers then? I felt like dog dog soldiers was fun. No, wait, yeah, real quick. It knew what it wanted stop, to be. Stop real quick. I've not seen it. Is that? Am I being am I being accurate when I say that that is the Army of Werewolves movie? Uh, no. No. What is it? It is a scientific experiment gone wrong Cabin in the Woods movie. Oh. Yeah, it's like there's... Aren't they werewolves who are kind of like soldiers? There's like, a, there's soldiers that get turned into... 
It's a sentry werewolf. There you go. I've se- I've I've uh, seen it by proxy. But it makes them more like monster dog than like lycanthropy. Okay. okay. So I'm glad. <laughs> it's a really weird movie. Okay, I'm glad I got Kevin because okay. So Neil Marshall makes Dark Soldiers, which like Kevin said, it's a weird movie. It's pretty good though. It like, was very watchable. I do not can- regret t- tuning into Sci Fi Network it's in its early days and, and watching that and fun. It's on sci. Yeah, it was on Sci Fi in America. It came out in theaters in Britain, I think. Uh, it's it's not bad, right? It's like it's a good movie. It's got seventy eight percent of Rotten Tomatoes. It's very watchable. So Neil Marshall makes Dog Soldiers, and then everyone is like dying to get him to make another horror movie. They're like, dude, make this horror movie, make this horror, mo- make a horror, make a horror movie. And he kind of waits. He doesn't like want to just like jump in and make because Dog Soldiers a, like oh one crap uh, oh two. Okay. He doesn't want to make like a crappy horror movie. He's like, I gotta wait, I gotta wait. And then he he gets this script for The Descent, and he's like, this is it. This is the one that I want. And this movie is just like, well, Eric, how would you describe this movie? Man, this this movie is razors. This movie is <laughs> daggers. This movie is so good. It's it's suspenseful. It has a simple horror plot, if you will. Uh, do you want me to go into the plot? Yeah, go for it. Oh, it's it's basically a group of friends, uh, four women. They're all females. The main yes, characters the, in the movie. The main, like big... There's very few men in this movie. I want to say in flashbacks. It subverts your expectations because like they're all they're all women. Like you'd expect in this movie that to be like some guy, some girls, a black and guy they, that gets killed in the first scene. Also, they're different <laughs> women. That's what I would assume. Uh-huh. It's, that's it's, a it's movie. four different women, meaning that they they each feel different archetypes. It's not like, hey, this you're all the woman archetype or you're all the heroic archetype. It's very much like just four people filling different roles. And Would it's you say awesome. by not having boyfriends as like two out of the four well, characters, they did a good job oh, of now, here's the getting thing. to duck They're, some of that? One of the girls is like recovering from her boyfriend uh, dying. Yes. There, there, is a, there is some, I was going to say a simple horror plot. They decide to go spurlunking, uh, spelunking. Yeah. Uh, much like Christian Bale in Batman Begins, and uh, which is cave diving, they I would I don't know if it's half the movie, but forty percent of the movie is some backstory on their friendship and them getting deep into these caves. And you think, ooh, it's going to be a, a scary. We're in the dark and we can't get through these tight area parts. It's a giant spider. It's spoiler. And then they find the bat mole people. And that's when the movie really takes off. Now this, and it's awesome. This movie has like a, a lot of twists and turns. And I feel like I can't talk about specific plot things. Now you are – you're talking about the deeper plot, right? Yeah. There's like a, there's like subplots. It's backstory, Between Kevin. the characters. And there, between the characters and like we won't spoil it, but there is backstory of some treachery, some unknown treachery, some cattiness – some genuine disappointments in life. So some shit went down. Yes, but not in the caves. And it's some of those things like you you kind of figure it out. You see it in some of the flashbacks, and that is layered underneath the rat or the uh, the bat mole the, people. The crawlers like they call yes. them because they're uh, I call them bat mole people because they're in the dark. They can't really see, and they're monsters. You, uh, you ready for this, Eric? You yeah. said they're monsters. That's a good description. They're yes. really scary. They're like really scary. They did not show the actresses what they were going to look like until they filmed the scenes with them because they wanted genuinely horrified reactions. I call that film terrorism. I love when directors make decisions like that because it does make the experience a little better because you can see the actors tense up with the anticipation. Yeah. I have not seen the new It movie, but they intentionally kept... The director said he wanted them to be something not quite human 
and something that maybe had evolved from uh, something that was human, like people who just lived in caves and just evolved over time in caves. That's that's what it. If you want to take it like a non-monster route, you can say that that's what it is. If you want to make a monsters, make a monsters. They're they're people who they're humanoids who can't see. They have uh, they're like you freaky know, golems, dude. They're like so scary. Honestly, they, they kind of look like goblins, and yeah. it's they have different color skin because they don't see the light. Uh, they have eyes, but they don't really see. Um, they have fangs and sharp, gross teeth and claws. And the movie is ruthless too. Yes, it's gory <laughs> and it's an R rated for it, a reason. It's not gory in like a like a like a exploitative way though. It's so like, like the time machine with HG Wells, the underground dwellers. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, but it's it's creepier just because, you know that they shed a light on them, or you know it was it was HG Wells, so it was action right. and excitement. And the way that the way that the crawlers are like clicking and like yeah, they're communicating, they're communicating yeah. with clicks. It's like so, it's so freaky. I don't know. I don't know. That's that's like my uh, that's my opinion. Some people don't like the crawlers. They're like it's the it's the one thing I don't like about this movie. I wish they never showed them. But like I'm glad they kind of got I into it. I don't and, understand that. That gave is... them like a they gave them like a lore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, without can... without saying anything about them, and you don't find out like. I'll just tell you this: the movie doesn't end with them saying, "Oh, so you found the cave people." No, it's it's not explained. It's <laughs> yeah, there's not like two sheriffs hanging out outside the cave afterwards, going like, "Oh, you shouldn't have gone in, in there." In like, fact, uh, let's, let's just skip skip ahead without uh, spoiling anything. Nathan, how do you feel about the ending, or I should say, how did you interpret the ending? Uh, okay, well, I mean, there, I don't feel like there's there's a whole lot to interpret. I mean, it kind of is what it is. I think it's a it was a weird uh, directorial choice to do what they did, um, and I think some, for some people it will be very disappointing. You know, that's uh, the uh... I found it even more terrifying. Okay, if that if anything, like I just thought I was like I was like, oh man, that's so scary what happened. But like I can't really talk about it too much without spoiling it. Does that I make will sense? say, do you know there's two endings? Oh, there's a there's, really there's an American and a I believe European because it's or Australian. It's not an American film. It's a, it's a, I well, believe Neil it's, Marshall is, is British, so it's probably UK. Yeah, it's, in the UK, it had a different ending. I'll just say that. And, and I'll tell you, you see the ending in, in the movie, in the American version. So you can probably guess what it is. Either way, it's. So you're saying they added that other stuff in, back in? Or they just left something out. Oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah, so. The, the final scene of the movie is not in the UK version. So would you guys oh. say this is an ambiance movie in a lot of ways? I wouldn't, um, but I really know what defines that for you, Kevin. So for me, an ambiance movie is where it relies more on the setup than on the payoff for the scare factor. So, like, are you more scared prior to something happening, or are you more scared as it's happening? I'm more oh. scared as it's happening. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not... Would you say it's... Jump scareish, or would you say it's not very jump scare reliant? It's more. It's not reliant. They're they're there a couple times. It's not jump scare okay. reliant at all. Any good horror movie still has a few jump scares that happens. Yeah, I, I watched a jump scare movie uh, last night on Netflix because I I the, love watching Netflix. Think about this, movies. Kevin. You're and in a cave, bad. and there's something that is surrounding you, and you just hear this like clicking noise and this scratching on the walls, and it just seems like there's something all around you. That's like the tension that's in this movie. It's like okay, so that like, tension I think like, is ambiance, like, and you'll see some night vision, like someone picks it up on night vision uh, really quickly, 
or I think they light a f- someone lights a flare mm-hmm. and it illuminates the the thing like directly behind her perfectly and you're like oh oh you're oh my gosh like okay you you genuinely fear for the protagonist in this movie this movie is appealing this is a movie that now it's on my radar i'm likely to go watch i don't it. know if it's streaming but and you know it's by the and you know it's by the director of dog soldiers too well it tells me that he can do uh creatures well because for a campy movie i thought they did well with the actual dog soldiers yeah. the way that they shot all the scenes with them and everything i, I thought it was that. well done and it's i mean it's it's like kind of a b movie like they, they there's not a high budget in this they, it's it's it really like I don't want we don't want to overhype it. I gotta say they made it like, for five million dollars and it looks good it looks, for five that's million. A great five million dollar movie. I'll say this, Kevin. You know how I uh, Kevin and I carpool here usually. You know how I'm like, hey, Kevin. You know I don't know if you're gonna like this or not, but I think you might enjoy Blank. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you right now, Kevin. If you don't like The Descent, I will fight you. <laughs> I know. I just think it's IRL. Really, I think you really like it. Okay. Yeah, I would. That's I would why be shocked I, if you didn't. To be like honest, it. that's the reason I thought you had seen it because I thought you would like it. <laughs> like it's yeah. it's the kind of movie you would dig. It is the kind of one I would dig. It's just that's a dead period. You, Unfortunately, also, all the I know what you did's and stuff just really like pulled me out of the horror genre for about a good ten years. You know, at least I finally know the answer to what would what is the first thing you'd do if you had a time machine. Go back in time and say, "Hey, Kevin, let's go watch some movies." <laughs> you give him like a forget list of about just like uh, 10. spending time Dude, with be, dead loved ones or or I, seeing dinosaurs or the Bible. No, I wanna... haven't met the people that I like because they would watch the horror movies with me. <laughs> hey, man, it wasn't it wasn't uh, us that held you back from watching movies. There's a very specific person whose fault that was. <laughs> Shade. All right, so so for Kevin Garber, for Eric Ronenbeck, I'm Nathan Santo, and we will see you next week. Tell us your thoughts about The Descent on all social media, and tell us your predictions for the Seahawks game. Go Hawks! Go, 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 go.